Third Meditation This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Meditations on First Philosophy by René Descartes Third Meditation Of God That He Exists I will now close my eyes, I will stop my ears, I will turn away my senses from their objects. I will even efface from my consciousness all the images of corporeal things, or at least, because this can hardly be accomplished, I will consider them as empty and false, and thus, holding converse only with myself, and closely examining my nature, I will endeavor to obtain by degrees a more intimate and familiar knowledge of myself. I am a thinking, conscious thing, that is, a being who doubts, affirms, denies, knows a few objects, and is ignorant of many, who loves, hates, wills, refuses, who imagines likewise, and perceives. For as I before remarked, although the things which I perceive or imagine are perhaps nothing at all apart from me and in themselves, I am nevertheless assured that those modes of consciousness which I call perceptions and imaginations, in as far only as they are modes of consciousness, exist in me. And in the little I have said, I think I have summed up all that I really know, or at least all that up to this time I was aware I knew. Now, as I am endeavoring to extend my knowledge more widely, I will use circumspection and consider with care whether I can still discover in myself anything further which I have not yet hitherto observed. I am certain that I am a thinking thing, but do I not therefore likewise know what is required to render me certain of a truth? In this first knowledge, doubtless, there is nothing that gives me assurance of its truth except the clear and distinct perception of what I affirm which would not indeed be sufficient to give me the assurance that what I say is true, if it could ever happen that anything I thus clearly and distinctly perceived should prove false. And accordingly it seems to me that I may now take as a general rule that all that is very clearly and distinctly apprehended or conceived is true. Nevertheless, I before received and admitted many things as wholly certain and manifest, which yet I afterward found to be doubtful. What then were those? They were the earth, the sky, the stars, and all the other objects which I was in the habit of perceiving by the senses. But what was it that I clearly and distinctly perceived in them? Nothing more than that the ideas and the thoughts of those objects were presented to my mind. And even now I do not deny that these ideas are found in my mind. But there was yet another thing which I affirmed, and which, from having been accustomed to believe it, I thought I clearly perceived, although in truth I did not perceive it at all. I mean the existence of objects external to me, from which those ideas proceeded, and to which 
they had a perfect resemblance. And it was here I was mistaken, or, if I judged correctly, this assuredly was not to be traced to any knowledge I possessed. But when I considered any matter in arithmetic and geometry, that was very simple and easy, as, for example, that two and three added together make five, and things of this sort. Did I not view them with at least sufficient clearness to warrant me in affirming their truth? Indeed, if I afterward judged that we ought to doubt of these things, it was for no other reason than because it occurred to me that a god might perhaps have given me such a nature as that I should be deceived, even respecting the matters that appeared to me the most evidently true. But as often as this preconceived opinion of the sovereign power of a god presents itself to my mind, I am constrained to admit that it is easy for him, if he wishes it, to cause me to err, even in matters where I think I possess the highest evidence, and, on the other hand, as often as I direct my attention to things which I think I apprehend with great clearness, I am so persuaded of their truth that I naturally break out into expressions such as these. Deceive me who may, no one will yet ever be able to bring it about that I am not, so long as I shall be conscious that I am, or at any future time cause it to be true that I have never been, it being now true that I am or make two and three more or less than five, in supposing which, and other like absurdities, I discover a manifest contradiction. And in truth, as I have no ground for believing that deity is deceitful, and as indeed I have not even considered the reasons by which the existence of a deity of any kind is established, the ground of doubt that rests only on this supposition is very slight and, so to speak, metaphysical. But, that I may be able wholly to remove it, I must inquire whether there is a God, and soon as an opportunity of doing so shall present itself. And if I find that there is a God, I must examine likewise whether he can be a deceiver. For without the knowledge of these two truths, I do not see that I can ever be certain of anything, and that I may be enabled to examine this without interrupting the order of meditation I have proposed to myself, which is, to pass by degrees from the notions that I shall find first in my mind to those I shall afterward discover in it, it is necessary at this stage to divide all my thoughts into certain classes, and to consider in which of these classes truth and error are, strictly speaking, to be found. Of my thoughts, some are, as it were, images of things, and to these alone properly belongs the name idea, as when I think or represent to my mind a man, a chimera, the sky, an angel, or god. Others, again, have certain other forms, as when I will, fear, affirm, or deny. I always indeed apprehend something as the object of my thought, but I also embrace in thought something more than the representation of the object, and of this class of thoughts some are called volitions or affections, and others judgments. Now, with respect to ideas, if these are considered only in themselves, and are not referred to any object beyond them, they cannot, properly speaking, be false. For whether I imagine a goat or chimera, 
it is not the less true that I imagine the one than the other. Nor need we fear that falsity may exist in the will or affections. For although I may desire objects that are wrong, and even that never existed, it is still true that I desire them. There thus only remain our judgments, in which we must take diligent heed that we be not deceived. But the chief and most ordinary error that arises in them consists in judging that the ideas which are in us are like or conformed to the things that are external to us. For assuredly, if we but considered the ideas themselves as certain modes of our thought, of our consciousness, without referring them to anything beyond, they would hardly afford any occasion of error. But among these ideas, some appear to me to be innate, others adventitious, and others to be made by myself, being factitious. For, as I have the power of conceiving what is called a thing, or a truth, or a thought, it seems to me that I hold this power from no other source than my own nature. But if I now hear a noise, if I see the sun, or if I feel heat, I have all along judged that these sensations proceeded from certain objects existing out of myself, and in fine, it appears to me that sirens, hippogriffs, and the like are inventions of my own mind. But I may even perhaps come to be of opinion that all my ideas are of the class which I call adventitious, or that they all are innate, or that they all are factitious. For I have not yet clearly discovered their true origin. What I have here principally to do is to consider, with reference to those that appear to come from certain objects without me, what grounds there are for thinking them like these objects. The first of these grounds is that it seems to me I am so taught by nature, and the second that I am conscious that those ideas are not dependent on my will, and therefore not on myself, for they are frequently presented to me against my will, as at present, whether I will or not, I feel heat. And I am thus persuaded that this sensation or idea of heat is produced in me by something different from myself, namely, by the heat of the fire by which I sit. And it is very reasonable to suppose that this object impresses me with its own likeness rather than any other thing. But I must consider whether these reasons are sufficiently strong and convincing. When I speak of being taught by nature in this matter, I understand by the word nature only a certain spontaneous impetus that impels me to believe in a resemblance between ideas and their objects, and not a natural light that affords a knowledge of its truth. But these two things are widely different. For what the natural light shows to be true can be in no degree doubtful, as, for example, that I am because I doubt, and other truths of the like kind, inasmuch as I possess no other faculty whereby to distinguish truth from error, which can teach me the falsity of what the natural light declares to be true, and which is equally trustworthy, but with respect to seemingly natural impulses, I have observed, when the question related to the choice of right or wrong in action, 
that they frequently led me to take the worst part, nor do I see that I have any better ground for following them in what relates to truth and error. Then, with respect to the other reason, which is that because these ideas do not depend on my will, they must arise from objects existing without me, I do not find it more convincing than the former, for, just as those natural impulses of which I have lately spoken are found in me, notwithstanding that they are not always in harmony with my will, so likewise it may be that I possess some power not sufficiently known to myself, capable of producing ideas without the aid of external objects. And indeed, it has always hitherto appeared to me that they are formed during sleep by some power of this nature, without the aid of aught external. And in fine, although I should grant that they proceeded from those objects, it is not a necessary consequence that they must be like them. On the contrary, I have observed in a number of instances that there was a great difference between the object and its idea. Thus, for example, I find in my mind two wholly diverse ideas of the sun. The one, by which it appears to me extremely small, draws its origin from the senses, and should be placed in the class of adventitious ideas. The other, by which it seems to be many times larger than the whole earth, is taken up on astronomical grounds, that is, elicited from certain notions born with me, or is framed by myself in some other manner. These two ideas cannot certainly both resemble the same sun, and reason teaches me that the one which seems to have immediately emanated from it is the most unlike. And these things sufficiently prove that hitherto it has not been from a certain and deliberate judgment, but only from a sort of blind impulse, that I believed existence of certain things different from myself, which, by the organs of sense, or by whatever other means it might be, conveyed their ideas or images into my mind, and impressed it with their likenesses. But there is still another way of inquiring whether, of the objects whose ideas are in my mind, there are any that exist out of me. If ideas are taken in so far only as they are certain modes of consciousness, I do not remark any difference or inequality among them, and all seem, in the same manner, to proceed from myself. But, considering them as images, of which one represents one thing and another a different, it is evident that a great diversity obtains among them. For without doubt those that represent substances are something more, and contain in themselves, so to speak, more objective reality, that is, participate by representation in higher degrees of being or perfection than those that represent only modes or accidents. And again, the idea by which I conceive a God, sovereign, eternal, infinite, immutable, all-knowing, all-powerful, and the creator of all things that are out of himself, this, I say, has certainly in it more objective reality than those ideas by which finite substances are represented. 
Now it is manifest by the natural light that there must at least be as much reality in the efficient and total cause as in its effect. For whence can the effect draw its reality if not from its cause? And how could the cause communicate to it this reality unless it possessed it in itself? And hence it follows, not only that what is cannot be produced by what is not, but likewise that the more perfect, in other words, that which contains in itself more reality, cannot be the effect of the less perfect. And this is not only evidently true of those effects whose reality is actual or formal, but likewise of ideas, whose reality is only considered as objective. Thus, for example, the stone that is not yet in existence not only cannot now commence to be unless it be produced by that which possesses in itself, formally or eminently, all that enters into its composition, in other words, by that which contains in itself the same properties that are in the stone or others superior to them. And heat can only be produced in a subject that was before devoid of it by a cause that is of an order, degree, or kind at least as perfect as heat, and so of the others. But further, even the idea of the heat or of the stone cannot exist in me unless it be put there by a cause that contains at least as much reality as I conceive existent in the heat or in the stone. For although that cause may not transmit into my idea anything of its actual or formal reality, we ought not on this account to imagine that it is less real. But we ought to consider that, as every idea is a work of the mind, its nature is such as of itself to demand no other formal reality than that which it borrows from our consciousness, of which it is but a mode, that is, a manner or way of thinking. But in order that an idea may contain this object of reality rather than that, it must doubtless derive it from some cause in which is found at least as much formal reality as the idea contains of objective. For, if we suppose that there is found in an idea anything which was not in its cause, it must of course derive this from nothing. But however imperfect may be the mode of existence by which a thing is objectively, or by representation in the understanding by its idea, we certainly cannot, for all that, allege that this mode of existence is nothing, nor, consequently, that the idea owes its origin to nothing. Nor must it be imagined that, since the reality which considered in these ideas is only objective, the same reality need not be formally or actually in the causes of these ideas, but only objectively. For, just as the mode of existing objectively belongs to ideas by their peculiar nature, so likewise the mode of existing formally appertains to the causes of these ideas, at least to the first and principle, by their peculiar nature. And although an idea may give rise to another idea, this regress cannot, nevertheless, be infinite. We must in the end reach a first idea, 
the cause of which is, as it were, the archetype in which all the reality or perfection that is found objectively or by representation in these ideas is contained formally and in act. I am thus clearly taught by the natural light that ideas exist in me as pictures or images, which may, in truth, readily fall short of the perfection of the objects from which they are taken, but can never contain anything greater or more perfect. And in proportion to the time and care with which I examine all those matters, the conviction of their truth brightens and becomes distinct. But to sum up, what conclusion shall I draw from it all? It is this. If the objective reality or perfection of any one of my ideas be such as clearly to convince me that this same reality exists in me, neither formally nor eminently, and if, as follows from this, I myself cannot be the cause of it, it is a necessary consequence that I am not alone in the world, but that there is besides myself some other being who exists as the cause of that idea, while, on the contrary, if no such idea be found in my mind, I shall have no sufficient ground of assurance of the existence of any other being besides myself. For, after a most careful search, I have, up to this moment, been unable to discover any other ground. But among these, my ideas, besides that which represents myself, respecting which there can be here no difficulty, there is one that represents a god, others that represent corporeal and inanimate things, others angels, others animals, and finally there are some that represent men, like myself. But with respect to the ideas that represent other men, or animals, or angels, I can easily suppose that they were formed by the mingling and composition of the other ideas which I have of myself, of corporeal things, and of God. Although they were, apart from myself, neither men, animals, nor angels. And with regard to the ideas of corporeal objects, I never discovered in them anything so great or excellent which I myself did not appear capable of originating. For by considering these ideas closely and scrutinizing them individually, in the same way that I yesterday examined the idea of wax, I find that there is but little in them that is clearly and distinctly perceived. As belonging to the class of things that are clearly apprehended, I recognize the following, namely, magnitude or extension in length, breadth, and depth, figure, which results from the termination of extension, situation, which bodies of diverse figures preserve with reference to each other, and motion, or the change of situation, to which may be added substance, duration, and number. But with regard to light, colors, sounds, odors, tastes, heat, cold, and the other tactile qualities, they are thought with so much obscurity and confusion that I cannot determine even whether they are true or false. In other words, whether or not the ideas I have of these qualities are in truth the ideas of real objects. For although I before remarked 
that it is only in judgments that formal falsity, or falsity properly so called, can be met with, there may nevertheless be found in ideas a certain material falsity, which arises when they represent what is nothing as if it were something. Thus, for example, the ideas I have of cold and heat are so far from being clear and distinct that I am unable from them to discover whether cold is only the privation of heat, or heat the privation of cold, or whether they are or are not real qualities. And since, ideas being, as it were, images, there can be none that does not seem to us to represent some object, the idea which represents cold as something real and positive will not improperly be called false, if it be correct to say that cold is nothing but a privation of heat, and so in other cases. To ideas of this kind, indeed, it is not necessary that I should assign any author besides myself, for if they are false, that is, represent objects that are unreal, the natural light teaches me that they proceed from nothing, in other words, that they are in me only because something is wanting to the perfection of my nature. But if these ideas are true, yet because they exhibit to me so little reality that I cannot even distinguish the object represented from non-being, I do not see why I should not be the author of them. With reference to those ideas of corporeal things that are clear and distinct, there are some which, as appears to me, might have been taken from the idea I have of myself, as those of substance, duration, number, and the like. For when I think that a stone is a substance, or a thing capable of existing of itself, and that I am likewise a substance, although I conceive that I am a thinking and non-extended thing, and that the stone, on the contrary, is extended and unconscious, there being thus the greatest diversity between the two concepts. Yet, these two ideas seem to have this in common, that they both represent substances. In the same way, when I think of myself as now existing, and recollect besides that I existed some time ago, and when I am conscious of various thoughts whose number I know, I then acquire the ideas of duration and number, which I can afterward transfer to as many objects as I please. With respect to the other qualities that go to make up the ideas of corporeal objects, namely extension, figure, situation, and motion, it is true that they are not formally in me, since I am merely a thinking being. But because they are only certain modes of substance, and because I myself am a substance, it seems possible that they may be contained in me eminently. There only remains, therefore, the idea of God in which I must consider whether there is anything that cannot be supposed to originate with myself. By the name God, I understand a substance infinite, eternal, immutable, independent, all-knowing, all-powerful, and by which I myself, and every other thing that exists, if any such there be, were created. But these properties are so great and excellent, 
that the more attentively I consider them, the less I feel persuaded that the idea I have of them owes its origin to myself alone. And thus it is absolutely necessary to conclude, from all that I have before said, that God exists. For, though the idea of substance be in my mind owing to this, that I myself am a substance, I should not, however, have the idea of an infinite substance, seeing I am a finite being, unless it were given me by some substance in reality infinite. And I must not imagine that I do not apprehend the infinite by a true idea, but only by negation of the finite, in the same way that I comprehend repose and darkness by the negation of motion and light, since, on the contrary, I clearly perceive that there is more reality in the infinite substance than in the finite, and therefore that in some way I possess the perception or notion of the infinite before that of the finite, that is, the perception of God before that of myself. For how could I know that I doubt, desire, or that something is wanting to me, and that I am not wholly perfect, if I possessed no idea of a being more perfect than myself, by comparison of which I knew the deficiencies of my nature? And it cannot be said that this idea of God is perhaps materially false, and consequently that it may have arisen from nothing, in other words, that it may exist in me from my imperfections, as I before said of the ideas of heat and cold and the like. For, on the contrary, as this idea is very clear and distinct, and contains in itself more objective reality than any other, there can be no one of itself more true or less open to the suspicion of falsity. The idea, I say, of a being supremely perfect and infinite is in the highest degree true, for although perhaps we may imagine that such a being does not exist, we cannot nevertheless suppose that his idea represents nothing real, as I have already said of the idea of cold. It is likewise clear and distinct in the highest degree, since whatever the mind clearly and distinctly conceives as real or true, and as implying any perfection, is contained entire in this idea. And this is true, nevertheless, although I do not comprehend the infinite, and although there may be in God an infinity of things that I cannot comprehend, nor perhaps even compass by thought in any way. For it is of the nature of the infinite that it should not be comprehended by the finite, and it is enough that I rightly understand this, and judge that all which I clearly perceive, and in which I know there is some perfection, and perhaps also an infinity of properties of which I am ignorant, are formally or eminently in God, in order that the idea I have of him may become the most true, clear, and distinct of all the ideas in my mind. But perhaps I am something more than I suppose myself to be. And it may be that all those perfections which I attribute to God, in some way, exist potentially in me. 
although they do not yet show themselves, and are not reduced to act. Indeed, I am already conscious that my knowledge is being increased and perfected by degrees, and I see nothing to prevent it from thus gradually increasing to infinity, nor any reason why, after such increase and perfection, I should not be able thereby to acquire all the other perfections of the divine nature, nor, in fine, why the power I possess of acquiring those perfections, if it really now exists in me, should not be sufficient to produce the ideas of them. Yet, on looking more closely into the matter, I discover that this cannot be. For, in the first place, although it were true that my knowledge daily acquired new degrees of perfection, and although there were potentially in my nature much that was not as yet actually in it, still, all these excellences make not the slightest approach to the idea I have of the deity, in whom there is no perfection merely potentially, but all actually existent. For it is even an unmistakable token of imperfection in my knowledge, that it is augmented by degrees. Further, although my knowledge increase more and more, nevertheless I am not therefore induced to think that it will ever be actually infinite, since it can never reach that point beyond which it shall be incapable of further increase. But I conceive God as actually infinite, so that nothing can be added to his perfection, and in fine, I readily perceive that the objective being of an idea cannot be produced by a being that is merely potentially existent, which, properly speaking, is nothing, but only by a being existing formally, or actually. And, truly, I see nothing in all that I have now said which it is not easy for anyone who shall carefully consider it to discern by the natural light. But when I allow my attention in some degree to relax, the vision of my mind being obscured and, as it were, blinded by the images of sensible objects, I do not readily remember the reason why the idea of a being more perfect than myself must, of necessity, have proceeded from a being in reality more perfect. On this account, I am here desirous to inquire further whether I, who possess this idea of God, could exist, supposing there were no God. And I ask, from whom could I in that case derive my existence? Perhaps from myself, or from my parents, or from some other causes less perfect than God? For anything more perfect or even equal to God cannot be thought or imagined. But if I were independent of every other existence, and were myself the author of my being, I should doubt of nothing, I should desire nothing, and, in fine, no perfection would be a-wanting to me, for I should have bestowed upon myself every perfection of which I possess the idea, and I should thus be God. And it must not be imagined that what is now wanting to me is perhaps of more difficult acquisition than that of which I am already possessed, for, on the contrary, it is quite manifest that it was a matter of much higher difficulty that I, a thinking being, should arise from nothing than it would be for me to acquire the knowledge of many things of which I am ignorant, 
and which are merely the accidents of a thinking substance. And certainly, if I possessed of myself the greater perfection of which I have now spoken, in other words, if I were the author of my own existence, I would not at least have denied to myself things that may be more easily obtained as that infinite variety of knowledge of which I am at present destitute. I could not indeed have denied to myself any property which I perceive is contained in the idea of God, because there is none of these that seems to me more difficult to make or acquire, and if there were any that should happen to be more difficult to acquire, they would certainly appear so to me, supposing that I myself were the source of the other things I possess, because I should discover in them a limit to my power. And though I were to suppose that I always was, as I now am, I should not on this ground escape the force of these reasonings, since it would not follow, even on this supposition, that no author of my existence needed to be sought after. For the whole time of my life may be divided into an infinity of parts, each of which is in no way dependent on any other, and accordingly, because I was in existence a short time ago, it does not follow that I must now exist, unless in this moment some cause create me anew, as it were, that is, conserve me. In truth, it is perfectly clear and evident to all who will attentively consider the nature of duration, that the conservation of a substance, in each moment of its duration, requires the same power and act that would be necessary to create it, supposing it were not yet in existence, so that it is manifestly a dictate of the natural light that conservation and creation differ merely in respect of our mode of thinking, and not in reality. All that is here required, therefore, is that I interrogate myself to discover whether I possess any power by means of which I can bring it about that I, who now am, shall exist a moment afterward. For, since I am merely a thinking thing, or since, at least, the precise question in the meantime is only of that part of myself, if such a power resided in me, I should, without doubt, be conscious of it. But I am conscious of no such power, and thereby I manifestly know that I am dependent upon some being different from myself. But perhaps the being upon whom I am dependent is not God, and I have been produced either by my parents or by some causes less perfect than deity. This cannot be, for, as I before said, it is perfectly evident that there must at least be as much reality in the cause as in the effect, and accordingly, since I am a thinking thing and possess in myself an idea of God, whatever in the end be the cause of my existence, it must of necessity be admitted that it is likewise a thinking being, and that it possesses in itself the idea and all the perfections I attribute to deity. Then it may again be inquired whether this cause owes its origin and existence to itself, or to some other cause. For if it be self-existent, it follows from what I have before laid down, that this cause is God, 
for, since it possesses the perfection of self-existence, it must likewise, without doubt, have the power of actually possessing every perfection of which it has the idea. In other words, all the perfections I conceive to belong to God. But if it owe its existence to another cause than itself, we demand again, for a similar reason, whether this second cause exists of itself or through some other, until, from stage to stage, we at length arrive at an ultimate cause, which will be God. And it is quite manifest that in this matter there can be no infinite regress of causes, seeing that the question raised respects not so much the cause which once produced me, as that by which I am at this present moment conserved. Nor can it be supposed that several causes concurred in my production, and that from one I received the idea of one of the perfections I attribute to deity, and from another the idea of some other, and thus, that all those perfections are indeed found somewhere in the universe, but do not all exist together in a single being who is God. For, on the contrary, the unity, the simplicity, or inseparability of all the properties of deity is one of the chief perfections I conceive him to possess. And the idea of this unity of all the perfections of deity could certainly not be put into my mind by any cause from which I did not likewise receive the ideas of all the other perfections. For no power could enable me to embrace them in an inseparable unity without at the same time giving me the knowledge of what they were and of their existence in a particular mode. Finally, with regard to my parents, from whom it appears I sprung, although all that I believed respecting them be true, it does not nevertheless follow that I am conserved by them, or even that I was produced by them, insofar as I am a thinking being. All that, at the most, they contributed to my origin was the giving of certain dispositions, or modifications, to the matter in which I have hitherto judged that I, or my mind, which is what alone I now consider to be myself, is enclosed. And thus there can here be no difficulty with respect to them, and it is absolutely necessary to conclude from this alone, that I am, and possess the idea of a being absolutely perfect, that is, of God, that his existence is most clearly demonstrated. There remains only the inquiry as to the way in which I received this idea from God, for I have not drawn it from the senses, nor is it even presented to me unexpectedly, as is usual with the ideas of sensible objects, when these are presented, or appear to be presented, to the external organs of the senses. It is not even a pure production or fiction of my mind, for it is not in my power to take from or add to it. And consequently there but remains the alternative that it is innate, in the same way as is the idea of myself. And in truth, it is not to be wondered at that God, at my creation, implanted this idea in me, that it might serve, as it were, for the mark of the workman impressed on his work. 
and it is not also necessary that the mark should be something different from the work itself. But considering only that God is my creator, it is highly probable that he in some way fashioned me after his own image and likeness, and that I perceive this likeness, in which is contained the idea of God, by the same faculty by which I apprehend myself. In other words, when I make myself the object of reflection, I not only find that I am an incomplete, imperfect, and dependent being, and one who unceasingly aspires after something better and greater than he is, but, at the same time, I am assured likewise that he upon whom I am dependent possesses in himself all the goods after which I aspire, and the ideas of which I find in my mind, and that, not merely indefinitely and potentially, but infinitely and actually, and that he is thus God. And the whole force of the argument of which I have here availed myself to establish the existence of God consists in this, that I perceive I could not possibly be of such a nature as I am, and yet have in my mind the idea of a God if God did not in reality exist. This same God, I say, whose idea is in my mind, that is, a being who possesses all those lofty perfections of which the mind may have some slight conception, without, however, being able fully to comprehend them, and who is wholly superior to all defect, and has nothing that marks imperfection, whence it is sufficiently manifest that he cannot be a deceiver, since it is a dictate of the natural light that all fraud and deception spring from some defect. But before I examine this with more attention, and pass on to the consideration of other truths that may be evolved out of it, I think it proper to remain here for some time in the contemplation of God himself, that I may ponder at leisure his marvelous attributes and behold, admire, and adore the beauty of this light so unspeakably great, as far, at least, as the strength of my mind, which is to some degree dazzled by the sight, will permit. For just as we learn by faith that the supreme felicity of another life consists in the contemplation of the divine majesty alone, so even now we learn from experience that a like meditation though incomparably less perfect, is the source of the highest satisfaction of which we are susceptible in this life. End Third Meditation This recording is in the public domain.